if we went by the principle that those affected by a problem should be in charge of determining the solution, then the majority of the world's peace negotiators, foreign ministers, and diplomats would be women. Gender. It influences our identity, the role we play in our society, and the way that we interact with each other. The crucial role of women in preventing conflict and building peace has been recognized. Yet over the last 30 years, 70% of peace processes did not include any women mediators or women signatories. So peace, much like war, remains entirely dominated by men. Welcome to Season 6 of the Peace Corner podcast, brought to you by CSPPS, You Know Why Peace Builders, and GPAC. The Youth Thriffin podcast, the Peace Corner aims to demystify peace building by giving peace builders across the world the opportunity to share their stories. We showcase the ordinary and extraordinary nature of peace building with the belief that everyone can be a peace builder. We just need to make space. This season explores gender dynamics in peace building. So who are the people making peace buildings more equal, inclusive and relevant? How are these pioneers making gender equality the norm? Keep listening to find out. Today's episode is presented by Gabriel Tristan from CSPPS, the civil society platform for state building and peace building. A warm welcome to you, listeners of season six of the Peace Corner podcast, which explores gender dynamics in peace building. Have you ever wanted to make a change in the world? Well, today's guest did, but before introducing her, let me paint a picture for you. President Putin, in the name of humanity, bring your troops back to Russia. This statement was made by Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary General, shortly after the first news of a Russian military incursion into Ukraine. Since the 24th of February, the war has severely impacted social cohesion, community security, and the resilience of local communities, especially women and girls. Estimates indicate that 54% of people in need of assistance from the ongoing crisis are women. In today's episode, I am delighted to hear the life trajectory of one of them, Yulia Yelfimova. So, dear listeners, if you want to explore how women in Ukraine were acting to prevent conflicts, how they are acting for peace now, and how they are personally impacted by the evolving crisis, you may want to listen until the end, because my second point is about women in wartime. But first, let's dig into your work, Yulia, as a woman in the peace-building sector. Yulia, you are co-founder of Center for Euro Initiatives, NGO, a member of Youth Peace Ambassadors Network, a youth worker and a trainer on human rights education, conflict transformation, peace education. You are also a coordinator of many international and local projects. You mentioned that in your professional and personal life, you are trying to promote values of human rights and peace, and you also try to educate your two, three-year-old kids based on these values. Um, to begin this interview, let's maybe talk a bit about your journey. Uh, I would love to hear what led you to get involved in peace-building activities, especially with young people in Ukraine. 
Um, I would say that my journey with peace building activities started back in 2011 um, when I joined the project of the Council of Europe, which is called Use Peace Ambassadors. That was the long-term project uh, which lasted for three years where young people from different countries of the Council of Europe um, and most of them were affected by conflicts in their communities and armed conflicts in their communities. We were educated how we can be basically peace builders in our communities, how we, we can promote positive peace, how we can promote dialogue in our communities. And from that project, my journey started. And I remember perfectly well when I heard the stories of young people from Kosovo, when they shared their memories of childhood uh, or war. Uh, and I was sitting and listening to them and thinking that I'm happy because I live in a peaceful community. Actually, without at that moment, without understanding that um, having no violence or having no war in the country is also not actually about peace because there are also um, other things behind uh, which has to be developed and worked on to, to have positive peace. And this is a long-term process which never stops. And uh, from that point, I also started to work on this topic with young people and also with youth workers in my community and in the country, bringing the idea of positive peace, explaining what does it mean or what can we do for that? What, uh, what kind of changes we can build around? And then later on um, from, from the pro project of Youth Peace Ambassadors, the network of Youth Peace Ambassadors was developed, which is now growing intensively, I would say. Um, a quite successful network. But comparing to what uh, I did in 2011 in my community, it was mostly focused on um, uh, promotion of human rights, democracy, uh, democratic values, active citizenship, and things like that uh, when I worked with young people. But then in 2014, uh, it changed dramatically uh, from the perspective of the context and what we've been talking with young people and what we've been working with young people on. So then we started to work more on conflict transformation, on conflict resolution, on participation of young people in peace building processes, on dialogue, on reconciliation. So the changes which happened in the communities also changed the direction of work uh, where I was involved. Uh, maybe to, to build on what you just said and to link your experience uh, with the theme of a podcast, I was wondering, um, before the war broke out in Ukraine, what kind of peace-building activities um, in favor of gender equality, maybe, have you carried out during your career? Before the war in Ukraine broke out, um, well, then it's already eight years of war in Ukraine, yes, and like in, in our organization where I work, uh, Center for Your Initiatives, the big focus is actually given to, to gender, uh, gender equality and to the empowerment of, of young women and uh, girls. And for that, we um, launched the leadership program for adolescent girls. In, in our region where we involved young girls with the disadvantaged background. So this, this is one of the program which was quite successful and we repeated this program twice. Um, another thing, when the COVID started, 
we initiated uh, the program of empowering young, uh, uh, young women in the field of IT uh, to show this equality in IT, to show that there is a place for young women in, in this field, that it is not dominated by male only. Another activities which we conducted last year before this uh, escalation, um, it was the, the long-term training course for girls from Dnipropetrovsk region, which is in the east of Ukraine, on um, participation of young women in the democratic life and in local policies. So it was like the, the long-term training course uh, where we discovered together with, not only with girls, uh, but uh, we made it also from the perspective of gender balance through the educational programs that both male and female are involved to, to show the, the importance of participation of uh, young women in the democratic policy, of, of democratic processes in the political life of, of the community. Uh, and also we developed recommendations on uh, how actually we can make this equality on the policy level, not only from, from the perspective that, yes, we have the, the deputy who is female in, in the local government, but what can be done in order to prevent discrimination, in order to prevent sexual harassment, which happens a lot, um, in the process of involving young, young women into the uh, uh, democratic processes in their local communities. This is just some of the examples, but also we have um, the policy inside of the organization which is focused on gender mainstreaming. And when it comes to that, to all the educational activities which we provide, we try to have the gender balance in all the activities which we have. So to try equally to involve both male and female participants in the educational activities, because the main field where we work is educational field, non-formal education field. Also, um, through the media and also developing different educational materials, we um, use the gender sensitive language and we try to promote it among uh, other organizations we work with. Because, for example, Ukrainian language it's very gender, uh, it's not really gender sensitive. Yes, we have a quite um, a defined uh, gender in the language. So it is important to show both uh, when we speak, uh, when we turn to young people. Um, so yeah, this is what we do. And we continue doing that um, as this is part of, of the policies of our organization. Your last part about language um... Uh, it's really uh, funny because like in, in, in the French language is really uh, gendered too. So that's that's kind of reassuring that um, a lot of countries are facing the same uh, issues. Um, it's really interesting also that you insisted on um, that the war goes back further than this year. And uh, to underline that your approaches are really plural and always adapting to the context they are based on. Highlighting your experience in the field uh, like piqued my curiosity since uh, 2022. I was wondering how did you adapt your activities to the war? Well, from the perspective of the NGO, it's a difficult question because at this moment, the, the members of our organization are relocated in different parts of the world. Uh, half of our colleagues are in, in different European countries. I'm still in Ukraine. 
So the, basically our activities, which we did before 24th of February, they are frozen. The only thing that we can do is um, trying to relocate the funds which we had in different directions or postponing them. Uh, but also our organization works within the, the European Youth Program, which is called Erasmus Plus Youth and European Solidarity Corps. So, uh, and also we are the info center of this program in Ukraine. So from this perspective, what we try to do, uh, we try to communicate with different stakeholders involved into the program in order to support young people from Ukraine in different countries of EU, but also supporting their participation in the program, creating spaces for young people to be heard, uh, because there are some cases, for example, within the program with partner, where a partner organization decided to cancel participation of organizations from Ukraine, because it could be difficult to, to, um, to, to make the logistics for such projects. So the, our, our task here is to advocate uh, the continuation of participation of young people in the program. Another point uh, here is that these opportunities for young people are very important, especially for those young people who are in the state of emergency. For example, they are um, advocating for the hot, hot zones in Ukraine. Uh, they are, for example, in a European country and they do not have place to stay or they are not sure about their future. So here we have these opportunities of our projects and also projects of other organizations working in the field of Erasmus Plus and European Solidarity Corps, where we can provide a bit of support for young people to participate in their activity. It can be a training course or use exchange in, a, in another country. Through this opportunity, they, uh, they have also opportunity to speak up about their needs about and advocate about young people in, in Ukraine. Uh, also, um, a bit of, uh, to, to have a bit of time of relaxing and uh, having no pressure thinking of what they will do tomorrow. But also within uh, European Solidarity Corps, which is the volunteer program, and it supports the long-term volunteering, for example, for young people. We also try to collect with other partners and other organizations the opportunities for young people from Ukraine to participate in these uh, programs. For example, if young, a young person is uh, in a European country, somewhere in the shelter, so there is this opportunity to go for the voluntary service for one year or for six months, and to be at least sure that she has or he has a place to live, activities to do without thinking of uh, the, the uh, terrible experience they went through in Ukraine or uh, running away from um, the terrible experience to a different country. So it's kind of safe space for young people to be safe, to be secure, and also to be involved and to be engaged which is also very important uh, for young people who are in the state of emergency. Another thing uh, where I personally involved at this moment is basically supporting the transformation of the youth work in Ukraine. Uh, again, reacting to the emergency which we have in the country. And it's mainly uh, working and transforming the activities which used to be. Then uh, an another thing when I am involved personally is actually the transformation of youth work in Ukraine because when uh, the the escalation uh, the, in, in Ukraine uh, started uh, in on the 24th of February, 
all use field actually it was frozen all all forces were sent to humanitarian support but then there are young people who also need support and more than just a humanitarian support more than just providing support and fulfilling their basic needs they need actually use work which will support the process of their adaptation to new realities so this is where i'm involved right now is actually to developing programs supporting youth workers on how they can adapt themselves their activities to support young people to this new reality uh, how they can transform the trauma they went through how they can balance their reality and understand where they are right now uh, what they can do how they can adopt their life which perspective they can see for themselves and also for their relatives for their families and how they can be helpful in the communities where they are right now how they can be engaged because a lot of young people are internally displaced a lot of young people are um, refugees so they need this support uh, from the perspective and, and the youth work is needed um, and we with another partner organization we launched the project uh, in the west of ukraine with uh, four youth centers uh, on providing mobile youth work uh, in the shelters so this is the program which will be provided for young people who are in the shelters to support them in the process of adaptation and integration in the communities where they had to flee because uh, of um, insecurity in, 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 in the places where they used to live. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Like, it's very uh, valuable, your commitment to young people. And as a young person, I feel uh, grateful for people investing their time and energy into youth. You, your answer makes um, a transition to the second part of this podcast uh, concerning women uh, at war. And you are an initiator and a coordinator of several youth initiatives in Sumi, where you're from. At this moment, you are involved in a voluntary initiative in providing humanitarian support for the civilian affected by the Russian-Ukrainian war in Sumi region. So as a youth worker and a youth trainer, you are still involved in several initiatives focused on supporting professional communities of youth workers in war wartime, as you mentioned. Speaking maybe a bit about Sumi, maybe for our listeners, Sumi is a town uh, 40 kilometers from Ukraine's northeast border that has been battered by days of shelling by Russian forces. It was a key border town that the Russian needed to take if they were to secure their supply lines from the east to Kiev. I remember, to be honest, the first time we talked, uh, being quite embarrassed uh, by uh, when asking, how are you, considering the context you're facing. So maybe for our listeners, uh, how is it like to be a woman and a mother in Ukraine, especially in Sumi in 2022? What has the war changed in your daily life, maybe? I remember first time when I actually got connected online, it was the... Um... A takeover organized by the UN on, on actually the situation in Ukraine. And at that moment, I was in Sumi uh, with my kids and the city was blocked. And we didn't know actually what, what would be and how the situation will, will go further, um, whether actually we would be able to, to evacuate from the city. And, and I have uh, two, two kids who are three years old. Um, so for me, uh, at that moment, was actually uh, thinking more on 
how to protect them, how to protect their psychological state, how to, to create the, the environment for them that they would not feel what is going on around. And because I worked a lot with young people who actually experienced uh, the, the, the war and who uh, were traumatized by war, and, and I saw how it uh, influenced them. Uh, so I didn't want my children would feel the, the, the same because then it would be a, a long process of recovery. And uh, being in Suma at the time in the blockade, I don't know, Suma did not suffer a lot comparing, for example, to, to the cities like Kharkiv or Irpin or Hastomel or Valnavaha, which absolutely destroyed. So the city does not exist at all. It's just uh, this spot in the map. Or Mariupol, which is still in, uh, in an awful humanitarian uh, uh, disaster. Uh, so Suna did not suffer a lot. And I even cannot imagine how um, mothers feel themselves being in, in those situations, because I was really um, frightened. And all the time when we went down to, to the basement with children because of, of the signals of the attacks, um, we took cartoons with us. Uh, we, we sang uh, different songs sitting in the basement, playing with them, not uh, playing the game, something like, oh, we're going to the basement, we will play, we'll have a lot of fun. Just creating the atmosphere for them that they would not feel that something dangerous is going on, but all the time, when they ask me, mother, what's going on? What, are, what is the sound outside? Uh, actually, in the end, I had to explain them that actually we have a bad guys in the city and we need to go far from the windows and from time to time we need to, to go to the basement just to be safe. Uh, so this was uh, my explanation to them that this is the safety measures for us because there are bad guys in the city and they can shoot. But uh, in some moment, what actually the, uh, the, the roads were open, there were these green corridors to be evacuated from the city. That was the decision for us that, um, of course, at this moment, also in the city, I joined the, the humanitarian initiative, the voluntary initiative, uh, where we tried to, to collect uh, different basic uh, things which are needed for people in need, like medicines, some hygienic stuff for children, like diapers, uh, some food for children, and delivering that stuff. Um, but uh, at that moment, it was also a difficult decision for me because I felt my belonging and um, my need to be there and to support people in Sumi. But on the other side, I felt that, first of all, I am responsible for the safety of my children. And that I need to bring them out from, from the city to a safer space. But actually, I have two of them, they're twins and they're small. And I cannot imagine how women go with such small children alone because I left together with my husband and this is huge support for, for me, for example. But I cannot imagine, and I was also thinking, if I need to go alone, whether I am able to do that and the question the answer for me is no because my kids are not independent at all they need support in everything like feeding them uh, they are absolutely lost outside and i cannot imagine how those brave women were crossing the borders with small children alone without having any any support so i feel that i am happy 
and I'm lucky that I have somebody who supports me and who brought me out of, of Sumi uh, and that we have our car because a lot of people, they do not have own transportation and that uh, they had to go by bus and uh, it, 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 they were very crowded. And it took us three days to go from our city to the west of Ukraine. So at, from this perspective, I cannot say how it is to be a woman during war, but I can say of how it is to be a mother of two small children during war. And it is very difficult because from one side, I am a mother. Uh, from another side, I'm also a youth worker and I'm a civic activist, which, which is two uh, different identities. And I feel me being here and there at the same time, but then you need to make the choice sometime how to be a mother and to protect your children but at the same time how to support those are in need depending on what you can do in the situation that you where you are right now and this is quite difficult psychological process I would say which is still I, I feel that I'm going through that process uh, still still I'm in that process because there are a lot of things where you can support and when you, you feel that you are needed, you need to be involved, that your support is needed, your help is needed, your expertise is needed, but then you need to make a choice and sometimes say no, because you have family, you have children, and they are the first one who needs you at this moment because they don't have anybody except of you. Maybe it's not the the time to think about it yet but the psychological consequences will be uh, surely a key, key part of the country's re reconstruction. I can barely imagine how difficult it must be to being there uh, as an individual but also as someone responsible for two kids. Uh, speaking of which, um, the media are increasingly revealing uh, abuses uh, committed by the Russian army on the Ukrainian people and especially on women. So the war as, uh, in Ukraine has revealed the harsh reality of, uh, for example, sexual violence as a weapon of war. Um, can you explain maybe how women are more vulnerable in conflict situations based on your Ukrainian experience? What actually uh, was broadcasted and opened when uh, the Kiev region was released, uh, all those images, uh, from Irpin showed the just something uh, which you cannot explain how the human being can can actually do anything what was done there and of course uh, women suffered a lot uh, with all those uh, cases of uh, raping Uh, but not only women, there are a lot of cases of children who suffered um, and they were also, uh, the, 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 the sexual crimes were um, did against of them. Um, another thing is that, uh, of course, um, it's, it's difficult to, to work uh, with these stories in Ukraine and also to talk over them. Because we have also kind of taboo in Ukraine towards of such cases. So even uh, a girl or a woman, I, I cannot even say if a child, because there are cases like this, something happened to them in a peaceful time, they would not open up. They would not speak about it freely because there is this 
taboo in the community towards such cases. Uh, in the cases uh, which are right now, the taboo is still there. And the risk of this situation that a lot of such crimes will not be opened up. Yeah, they will be hidden. And those, those who are guilty for those cases, for those crimes, they will not be accused and they will not be judged for that. And a lot of like the human rights organizations in Ukraine who um, uh, work with, with, with such cases, they also share the stories of women who are, for example, mothers and they have two children, but they were raped uh, and they're afraid to speak up. They just need to have this support uh, from the uh, gynecologist to, I would not say, I cannot, uh, I do not know the word in English, to clean up, to make their abortion. Um, because if the community, the village where she lives in will learn about that, or her husband, who is right now um, serving uh, in the army, uh, she's afraid to be judged. And she will never um, bring the testimony of, of, of her case. Uh, there are a lot of such situations where women are afraid to talk about it because they will be judged because they feel that they are guilty of such cases. And of course they are not, but then because of this pressure which we have uh, in, in the society, this kind of cultural and traditional uh, traits, the taboo of such cases which were built before war, we have the consequences of this right now. Yeah, I, I think that in... Uh, any case, it's really uh, very difficult to speak about uh, on this kind of subject. And the women who do so uh, remain extremely brave to break the silence. Uh, maybe to counterbalance that, uh, what uh, has just been said, uh, Sumi was also uh, characterized by acts of uh, resistance on the part um, of the inhabitants and uh, Russian troops withdrew on the 8th of April. So maybe uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but... This is uh, why we often think of women as victims, but what is the place of women in armed resistance in Ukraine nowadays? Uh, maybe you, as you are uh, involved uh, in Sumi region, do you have example of local actions uh, led by women, for example? Um, a lot of voluntary initiatives currently are led by women. A lot of humanitarian support are led by women. By women. Um, so the... the the, the uh, women plays a huge role in actually supporting um, everything what is behind the actual uh, military actions. They providing educational support, providing humanitarian support. This is where uh, women are involved and participate a lot. But for example, from um, I have participants who used to be at my trainings on human rights and human rights education, uh, female participants, and they are currently served in the army. They are part of, of the Ukrainian army, so they are really in the hot zones. So there they also have their place and they are very brave uh, defending, uh, defending uh, the communities where they serve. Uh, a lot of women are right now go for the medical support and the medical services. Uh, a lot of young women with whom I worked in Sumi, for example, they joined different voluntary initiatives and humanitarian support, collecting 
collecting medicines and delivering the medicines. And they are those who actually take the car, and they bring the stuff to small villages, to small communities, uh, to the distance regions in, in uh, different parts of Ukraine um, without being afraid afraid of uh, actually getting into the mining field. Of course, uh, I, I know that, that you know, or maybe you've heard that at this moment, Ukraine is one of the countries which is mined the most. And there are a lot of uh, territories which are still mined, they are not demined. So th those who actually carry all that stuff, most of them are female, uh, young girls who actually take this responsibility on them. Thank you so much for sharing uh, such a powerful testimony. Um, I maybe would like to conclude this episode with a call for action. Do you have any message that you would like to share with our listeners to either inspire young women to get involved like you did on peace building activities or maybe how to help uh, Ukraine in these dark times? Uh, the, the strongest thing which can be actually done uh, from, from those young people and from those communities who are outside of Ukraine is actually to, to share the information, to fact check the media and information which you receive. This is the most important, to be aware, to be conscious of what is actually going on because the level of propaganda is huge. And in the state of war, Propaganda is everywhere. It's only one-sided. Everybody knows about that. So what we can do, everybody can do, is actually fact-check the information, call for sanctions, because sanctions, um, this is something which, is, which has the long-term perspective. Let's say it doesn't help at this moment. It will not stop war at this moment, but it has long-term perspective. Um, another thing is talk to people from Russia. Uh, open up their eyes. Again, ask them, teach them to deal with propaganda, to identify propaganda, uh, to again, fact check the information, bring in different resources of independent media. And of course it's difficult, but still it is possible. And this is something that can be done. And yeah, um, don't forget about what's going on. What we're afraid about is that right now we have a huge attention from the European community and international community to everything what is going on in Ukraine. But the history and similar cases shows that people are tired of that. And there will be time, in, in a certain time, people will stop talking about that. Don't stop talking about that. Uh, because the war in Ukraine will not stop ne next month. It will be longer. And we know, are conscious, we're all conscious about that, that it will take a lot of time. And even if the escalations, violent escalations will stop, there is the long process of reconstruction. And there we also need the international community to continue talking, to continue spreading information to continue supporting the justification of cases of crimes against humanity which happened in Ukraine. Because without support of the international community, uh, I am afraid that those who are guilty for these cases, uh, they will not be judged. And we need them to be prosecuted. Because this is the, the huge lesson from, for the whole world and for the, uh, for the human beings in the world. That if there is a crime, then there should be rule of law which with the help of which those who are guilty in the crime, they will be judged. 
and they will be prosecuted. Thank you so much. Um, your point about misinformation uh, is crucial, I think. And um, yeah, let's not forget that, uh, as you said, like, don't forget about the Ukrainian war. Let's not forget that uh, besides the war in Ukraine, there are other wars and conflicts also that needs to be tackled. Um, I hope, I truly hope that your message will be shared with our listeners. And I thank you really uh, a lot for your time, uh, Julia. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having this opportunity. Thank you for joining us today and for contributing to a better world. Thank you for listening to the Peace Corner podcast and supporting our initiative. Feel free to share this episode with people around you who you think might benefit from it. And don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you might be listening from. <laughs>